I watched this film, uh, Idiocracy. I found it very inspiring. Have you seen it? Nope. No. It's, um, the, the premise is that, um, you know how they kind of get together these um, uh, uh, sort of messages into the future, you know, sort of put together some quotes or whatever for humanity and, you know, somebody will come along in 500 years or send it out into space. You know the, the thing. Mm. You want to <clears throat> posterity, you know. So the, the premise is that they, they find the most average guy that they can um, in the whole of the U.S., you know. So uh, average in every possible way, average IQ, um, you know, average blood pressure. Um, and they put him in one of these kind of cryo-freeze, long-sleep things. Um, but then shit goes really badly um, in the U.S. And, and the project kind of gets uh, trashed, but he gets forgotten in his cryo-capsule. And then wakes up 500 years later and he's got the highest IQ by like a mile. Um, nobody's read a book for several centuries, you know, it's like um, people are just seriously fucking stupid. I mean, like very deeply stupid. <laughs> oh, mm. painful. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know, it sort of feels familiar. Life and art. What does that mean? It feels familiar. <laughs> exactly that, you know, that... Um, Life you feel like you've art. woken up 500 years after after your time and, and everyone else Everybody. is an idiot? Is that what, <laughs> is that what you're trying no, to say? No, 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 no. Uh, because that's what I'm hearing. Well, it really sounds like you're saying yeah. it. Uh, no, I'm not saying it. I'm saying that um, I feel like I'm um, awake right now. Um, and because I'm pretty much as stupid as everybody else, I don't really notice, you know. Um, so it feels really familiar. That's what I'm saying. I mean, but the most of the the whole the whole sort of point of the film is that things are going to look uh, kind of similar to uh, you know the stuff that you're busy with. So the the. <laughs> <laughs> There's really beautiful stuff, you know. They've had the all of the uh, regulatory authorities have been bought out by McDonald's-like companies. Um, th that's called something like uh, Brono, <laughs> Brondo, or Brono. Yeah. I guess we just had better watch it. Yeah, it's funny in the original Polish, as they say. Hey, he laughed. He laughed. He I'm did. gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna. Be I'm a watching a movie in Polish. Anyway. You know, it's just a, it's a sort of expression. It's nothing. Nothing serious. Nothing serious. So what screen are you watching? Yeah, you look like you're up, up to something. Yeah, this is my big screen. Um, no, we're on the small one. You're on the small one. Oh, look there, big screen. 
I'm trying to save some documents that might disappear if I didn't, um, you know. Because every now and then my little computer crashes. It's not an apple. That's why it's doing it. Yes. Exactly. This is when I shouldn't say that that's actually happened to me in the past year as well. And I do have an apple. <laughs> For how many years have you had apples? <laughs> and for how many times have your computers crashed during those years? I think you have a pretty good track record. But oh. yeah, because I was actually thinking about that the other day. I I bought my first Mac sort of this time around, early winter. 22, uh, oh, eight. And I was like, have I had two or three? I must have had three, wasn't I? But I can't remember. But um, what did you have before then? Well, I bought a, an HP little laptop that uh, blue screened on me and blue screened and blue screened and I got that one in October of 2007 since that's when I started my company and it went everywhere to be fixed you know and got a new motherboard or whatever it's called and everything and it's still blue screened so I said fuck this shit how far away from a PC can I get boy yeah yeah a woman's well, you didn't come very far, that should be said. Yeah, but, you know, it's like I didn't go for a PC. I didn't go for all of them. It was like, no, give me something else. But yeah, it's still a laptop. But it didn't strike you that maybe the thing you should get away from is Windows? No, it didn't. 2008, I was immersed in Windows programs all over the fucking place. So, no, it did not. I could not write if I didn't have Windows. I mean, the, the programs. So, the Microsoft program. So, no, that was not an option, actually. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sorry to say. There's enough of that. I wouldn't argue with you. Thing. No. And it is in the past, so there's not really much point to it. Decision made, done. You mean you can't blame people for shit that they've already done? Well... That's an intriguing sure, concept. You can, you can blame whatever, but I won't be able to undo it. Because it's done. Mm. Mm. And I stand by it. But it made me think that, you know... They kind of do last for a long time, these computers. At least if you're not like me and don't want the new one whenever there's a new one. Well, you make it last for quite a time, for quite some time. Yeah, but it works.
No comments. Väldigt talande tystnad, as we say in Swedish. Yeah. Silence speaks. What? What is it? Silence speaks loud? No. What do you say? Is there a... There's uh, lots of them. So give me one. One of them. Um, silence is golden, so shut up and get rich. You know? It's like from the stupid world. Is there one from the bright world as well? Mm. So how are you? I'm not saying a word. <laughs> Silence is golden. Okay. Welcome to one hour of no Buddhas. Who was the you you were referring to? Our listeners. So if when you, you when you say now, how, so how are you you mean our no, listeners are going to call in I they can't fucking that, say I'm, anything no when i said that i was referring to caspian and or dominic and both but preferably not at the same time well not at the same time no. okay well dr c tell us what you've been up to it's been a busy time for you it has indeed i've um almost finalized my moving um it was supposed to finalize yesterday but the cleaning wasn't done um although i paid for it um so so we took a stroll around the apartment saying this needs to be fixed this needs to be fixed you should use this for this and so on and so on so i'm doing that tomorrow um And then I'm rid of my old apartment, um, which feels really nice. It currently looks like two larger bombs dropped down in this apartment um, because I haven't unpacked very well. Um, I've gained two new clients this week and two new employees whoop um just you know it's it's been it's been a lot of work lately really a lot of fun stuff for sure but but a lot so when are we having a roof wetting a what A roof wetting. Well, it rains here every day. Oh, well, there you are. The roof is quite wet. Mm. In your ancient Nordic tongue, it's called an invigning. Oh. Well, um, I don't know. As soon as as soon as COVID is a bit better, I guess. But it's as good as it's getting. I mean, what do you mean if it's better? Better for us, not for the virus. <laughs> mm. And then I guess we we're gonna have some some get-togethers or others in when it, when it gets a bit warmer out on the massive balcony. I've got about twelve meters of it, all glassed in just waiting to be utilized. 
could we put in like uh, a, a skateboard ramp or something? For sure. That's a good idea. I've, I've had loads of, I had a couple of guys moving the, um, um, the sofa that I had because I live four stories up without an elevator. So I was like procrastinating it as far as I could. And then last Tuesday I was like, this needs to be done. So, so I called, uh, or I emailed a, a moving firm and three guys roughly my age. Um, but probably from, from another socioeconomic, um, step in the ladder. They all, all three of them came up first in the other apartment. They were like, oh, this is so cool. Are they all students, you know, going, are the girls hot? Those kinds of things. Um, and I had to tell them about, you know, there, there's vomit in the corridors about every week. You know, that, that's as crazy as this goes. They're like, oh, we should move in here. And then we came up here. <laughs> We came up here and they, they all went, <laughs> for sure. No, they came up here and they were like, oh, this is a big apartment. This is really nice. Um, then they came into the kitchen and one of them saw the balcony and was like, whoa, this is yours? I was like, yeah, you, you could go pop out and, and take a look. He goes out, takes one look to his right. <laughs> his eyes just widen. One look to the left. He pops his head back in and it's like, what? <laughs> the other two were like, what, what, what's going on? All three of them go out. They come back in and they're like, you could start a soccer team. <laughs> <laughs> All hyped up. Um. So yeah, soccer team, bowling alley, skate park. We were even thinking of putting up a bar out there. Um, At the end of the skate ramp? Sure. <clears throat> I mean, I was, I was more I mean, thinking you, like shopping trolleys, kind of like jackass sort of thing. If I can push you on a, put, on a shopping trolley on a home-built skating ramp on my balcony, With a cocktail. I'm taking the offer. As long as I have a cocktail in my hand, it should work out fine. <laughs> it won't be in your hand for that long if, if you're going skating with it. I think just you're just saying. not used to taking care of things that are important. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, but I'm really, really good. Um, just stressed out. How are you guys? I feel like we need to kind of um, burst into song. You know, there's that um, there's that song with those guys that do the sort of uh, hand greetings. You know, good old days, turn back time. I feel stressed out. No? Don't know that one. You don't know that song? No. You lost me at the guys who do those hand gestures. Ooh. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. 
Yeah, well, I haven't been entertaining young men in my apartment. Um, sorry, you know, um, that's how it is. There's been a sort of steady encroachment of COVID cases. Um, so there's uh, a few uh, suddenly COVID cases around at, uh, you know, at my kids' schools and other familiars and so on. Um, and of course, the, the, um, there has been a dramatic increase in, in, in cases nationally, and there's been quite a, uh, a change in, um, in the, what did one say, the sort of uh, regulatory aspects of it, that there's been new recommendations and a few more restrictions, not like there's total lockdowns, but there's definitely a sense for me of that um, somebody's trying to convey a message, you know, that it's really, 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 really serious this time. But, um, yeah, yesterday I, I saw uh, a guy that works at a local food store. What would you call it? A grocery store. Um, and uh, he was saying that he really just doesn't understand why people can't plan their uh, purchases. So there's people that come there every day. And he only shops once a week for all of his food needs. But even the elderly um, come and shop, you know, every day. And I thought about it, I thought, well, maybe it's just that um, it's kind of like a, a psychological thing, you know, like um, the comfort of a society that's alive around you, you know. Um, like it, it didn't really matter when there wasn't a crisis, but now that there is a crisis, um, there was somebody else in the conversation saying, yeah, but you know, in Sweden, um, we don't come close to people. We just don't do that. You never sit next to anybody on the bus or on the train or whatever. But now that it's COVID, now everybody wants to get cozy with you as soon as possible. I mean, I don't know if you guys have had that experience. Um, but um, yeah, it's kind of uh, it's kind of special. I don't really know what to what to make of it from or anything that's different. You know, um, I mean, I've been sort of a bit um, I've had uh, not very good sleep. I've been sort of uh, waking up. Very, very early, like three o'clock, like today I woke up at three. And <clears throat> then I'm awake till about five or quarter to six. And then I get insufferably tired, like now I have to sleep again. So then I sleep a little while and then I wake up. And, you know, it sort of has that familiar feeling of when you've been run over by a train. I'm sure you all know that feeling. It's happened to you many times before. Mm. Yeah. Going by nocturnal. And I've, um, 
What are you going to say, Helena? No, you go ahead. And... Hmm. Yeah, I've been investing a lot of time into, um, I think I spoke previously about this sort of sense of that, um, I don't really feel comfortable or, or uh, I don't really feel supported entirely by my, by my own thinking processes. And um, so it's been a nice period in Advent of um, kind of, I uh, don't know what one would say, making space for something new, you know, um, exploring uh, new ways or different ways of thinking or, um, you know, just exploring um, what the implications are of being, um, uh, what's the word, uh, deluded by uh, one's own perspective, by my own perspective. And also at a, at a larger scale, you know, trying to sort of... Um, come to grips with uh, these kind of daily contradictory statements that you read in the in the press. I mean, COVID is just one example, but it could be the economy or climate change or whatever. Um, and just as a kind of cherry on top, they discovered a new whale. They did? They did. Where? Yeah, wow. Uh, I think in the sea. Good guess. <laughs> very, very good guess. Would you happen to know where in the sea? No, I can't come up with it. But I'll, Probably I'll, deep. But <laughs> actually, it was probably on the surface since they actually saw it. Uh, there's, a, there's a picture of it. Oh. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine that. I wouldn't have guessed that one. But just a sort of detail like that, you know, and and um, the the context of it being sort of twenty twenty, and and we've got about like you know, for argument's sake, about two hundred years of of species exploration, um, maybe two fifty. You know, if you take. Uh, What's the Swede called? Linnea is in the. He's called Linnea. Carl von Linnea. Yeah. Linnaeus, the, the English call him. They call him? Linnaeus. Linnaeus. With an S? Linnaeus. Yeah. Sort of the Latin way of, yeah, yeah, of writing yeah. Linnea. But, but his but, but name he, is Linnea. That's late 1700s, yeah. So we I could say so. probably 250 years. Um, mm. I understand that um, Linnaeus had a, 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 a very um, interesting uh, sort of um, sideline of interest about um, women's sexuality. He was quite into um, sort of a, um, unrestricted expression of female sexuality. He thought it was like a, an important part of evolution, just by the way, you know. Um, but it just struck me that when we discover things like new whales, you know, that there's like evolutionarily, we're kind of always in the first sort of five minutes of our process. It's, mm. 
Mm. Um, it's really quite amazing how uh, our sense of importance is and how much we think we know and etc. etc. And you put all the the perspectives together, it's sort of quite possible that we might discover a fuck of a lot of other things, new things in time. Including what it means to so-called discover things and, you know. Mm. Yeah. So I've spent the past three days wearing a mask. in a setting where I wouldn't normally, you know, it's like I've, I've worked wearing a mask at times, but those settings have been more like sterile manufacturing or, or something where it makes perfect sense. But this was in a huge warehouse-like machine shop with um, a machine line set up. So we've been wearing masks and putting, you know, disinfectant gel on our hands and, and stuff. So, I mean, you sort of, you're a biologist by training. I um, am. Yeah? Yeah, I am. A specialist in molecular biology or? No. Well, no. I would say I'm, I was... You know, there's blue, green, and white biologists. I'm the white kind, the one in a lab coat, mm. Mm. Um, um, rather than the green one out in the forest or the blue one out in the sea or the lakes. Um, so what do you call a theoretical biology? Well, no, I don't know what Evolutionary biology? Well, I don't know. But, a master so, of biology? Can we call yeah, you doctor? I have a no, I'm very much not a doctor, but I have a master's in biology. We can't call you for... like Dr. Helena, no. like, like Joe not Biden's you wife. To, you know? No, not if you kind of want to have anything that corroborates it. Um, feel free to call me it, if you want to, but no. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because I pick up on so many things when you're in a setting like that. So, and, you know, just I wear glasses trying to get the proper balance of mask so that every exhalation does not fog up the glasses <laughs> takes like you know half an hour you have to sort of and every time theoretically every time i touch the outside of the mask i should change it you know and it's like you don't and oh yeah and funny thing is you know eight nine hours after having stood there in a mask all day with a break for lunch, sure, but not much else. You take it off and your nose feels really funny. It's a really funny way because all of a sudden it's like there's something to inhalation and exhalation without the mask that just feels really, really strange. So it's it does provide a lot of 
openings for new insights and new experiences and new sensations. Um, but it's not very nice. And it hurts behind the ears. You know, it's like, ugh. So it's like the first half hour with them on, seriously bugging. And then, you know, the only thing to do is to ignore that it is there and then I will eventually forget it. Uh, and just go about doing what I'm doing. Mm. And then somebody speaks to you and they turn their head a little bit and you go, what? Because you cannot hear. It really muffles the voices. Um, yeah, I was just going to say one of the favorite things that I've seen during this pandemic with people with masks on is people leaning in towards one another. <laughs> Both to with masks on. Yes. And you're like, dude, <laughs> get your head in the game. Yeah. Mm. That was yeah. a pun or what? You're so clever, Dominic. Pick up on them. Yeah, but that's what I've been doing. And what do you make of the um, uh, big inverted commas science of uh, masks and all this kind of stuff? Visors, gloves, hazmat suits. I, yeah, it's like, again, like we were discussing hazmat suits half a year ago. It's like it takes training to know how the fuck to use them, what to do, how to move. Masks are the same, you know, it, it takes forever and a day to learn how to behave inside of a sterile manufacturing room or, uh, or a lab like that. And, you know, it's like you have people going in training and what you do is you, you sort of swab them and or stuff that they're working on to make sure that nothing is growing because, you know, you just, you know, you, you touch your you know, your eye a little bit and you're screwed. You have to, you know, glove off and clean off and go change and, and stuff. So I can see the masks, the mask usage I saw, the mask usage I did isn't very effective. We are, you know, there's, if there's any corona there, it's all over that shit. Um, I'm guessing, but this is just a guess, that visors would be simpler. Um, because I think that they don't bother you as much, so you wouldn't be touching it as much. Um, mm. that's, a, that's a guess for me. Um, but, you know, it's... If we are to use or wear or masks, it's like, I think more like this is how you do it. Every time you touch it, take a new one. Don't use it for more than X hours. If you need to take it off, you need to put on a new one. Don't put it down on the table and then put it up again. It's like, um, I think they'd have to do a proper one. And one of the guys, had a, a, a like a cloth uh, mask, a reusable one. And every time he spoke, it was a little bit too big. 
though every time he spoke, boink, it went down. So it did not cover his nose anymore. And then he touched it, put it up on his nose, and then he continued speaking. Boink, it went down. Nose exposed. He touched it up again, like constantly. And he's like kind of biting it a little bit, you know, because it's there. And then I'm going, I saw him for three days. That mask was not changed. Um, does he clean it at night? I'm guessing not. And I asked my colleagues and he'd been at the other machine test they did in the beginning of November. And they went, that's the same mask he had on then. <laughs> you know, it's like, <sighs> so it's like how much of this, of that is like purely for show because it sends some type of signal, but what the fuck is that signal really? Mm. Uh, it's like, yeah, I kind of want to show that I'm taking this seriously, but you can see from so much that I don't really. It sends really weird signals. Um, but is it weird or is it just like that that's such an ingrained part of our culture that we don't really think about it much. Think about what much? Well, that um, being able to manage signals is like a really crucial skill for um, succeeding in, in the game theory economy. I mean, you know, the, the going to school, getting in good grades, uh, getting into jobs and so on and so on is like got very little to do with your learning retention, it has to do with giving the right signal at the right time. Mm -hmm. But that's the weird thing, I think, because I think these signals are weird. You know, it's like we were in this massive hall, let's say it's like 20 meters to the ceiling, if that, I don't know, 150, 200 meters long easily 40, 50 meters wide, you know, massive amount of air and, and you know, pretty good ventilation. Uh, and 10, 15 people in their tops sort of spread out in this area, everybody wearing masks. And then come fika time, let's scoot down over into the little fika place, this tiny little room about 10 meters long, three meters wide, you know, two and a half meters ceiling, everybody of those, masks off. It's like, what, no, what, hey, no, it's like, wait, it's like, what? so yeah, I would say the signals are weird. Uh, I think. So you sent a, um, a link to a study um, from uh, the Danish Center for Political Opinion or whatever oh, it's yeah, called, CPOS. So if you're not uh, familiar, CPOS is a, um, I guess you could call it a conservative slash right-wing slash free marketeer type of think tank in Denmark. Um, and the material is in Danish, so um, you know, um, good luck with that. <laughs> if you want to look it up, it's kind of fun. Uh, lots of, uh, lots of special kind of, um, alphabets and stuff like that. But, um, <clears throat> there's a really interesting paper that you linked to that, um, 
they make a very strong case about uh, um, COVID. Um, what would you call it? Um, measures, so lockdowns and restrictions and so on and so on. And, and they're basically pointing to that uh, our, our, our best data, our best science, uh, is telling a story that <clears throat> uh, overwhelmingly government restrictions have had virtually no effect on um, on uh, COVID, on limiting COVID uh, infections, or um, you know doing all the things that they're supposed to do, and that the most effective um, aspect of of of, uh, of the broad field is is voluntary engagement from citizens responsible voluntary engagement like what well you know like um social distancing and all these kind of things but um making those decisions based on uh, a sense of personal responsibility not on that someone else told you to do it um like the mask man you're describing. Um, mm. I sort of got this image of that maybe he's like a squirrel, you know, and he's got like nuts and stuff in his mask. That's why it keeps slipping down. It's <laughs> Sorry. Um, <clears throat> on the subject of, of weird signals. So, I mean, a lot of people have had uh, really a really difficult time with the Swedish responses because there's supposed to be these really strong signals and, uh, you know, there's this constant carping and criticism and, uh, you know, it's like um, a really good LLGI sort of um, Petri dish where you can make the worst possible interpretations all the time. Because uh, Sweden hasn't gone into lockdown, because Sweden hasn't sort of done all this panic stuff, uh, bloody, bloody, blah. blah, blah. Um, and on the other side of that picture, it's like, well, um, is that really what's necessary? You know, um, and and uh, we're almost a year into into COVID. I mean, technically speaking. Um, this is the week one year ago when um, uh, things started happening in Wuhan. Um, mm. So there's a lot of... And we're of, recording this on the 19th of December. Yeah. Just for... So a hell of a lot of, of research has happened, um, which also these Danish uh, papers point at, that, uh, you know, there's like 90,000 research papers uh, on just COVID in different uh, in different sort of subject areas and different arrays of analyses and meta studies and so on and so on. So just if you sort of in a in a purely rational frame of mind, um, you could say that it's a pretty confusing situation to be in because there are such mm -hmm. strange signals to cope with. Um, I mean the. The mask thing has been such an incredibly loaded and divisive uh, question. And in Sweden, the primary response from, from government 
and from the health service up until recently has been, well, masks are really, really important in the right context and situation. Um, but as a sort of general um, uh, uh, measure, a uh, recommended measure, it's probably more problematic than not. And we don't have any good evidence to suggest that masks are helpful. Um, and I mean, th these uh, people from the, the health services have been called every possible thing under the sun. There was a an article a week ago from one of the senior um, doctors uh, from from the the sort of state institute called Karolinska. He's a, a infectious medicine. Um, I think they called it in Swedish. It's an odd term. I don't think there is one in English. It's, but um, he gives out a whole bunch of recommendations and then he, he finishes his, his, his so-called open letter to the health authorities. It says um, that we don't have any evidence does not uh, in any way justify not taking very, very strong um, measures. Yeah, I see you both sort of sitting there going, whoa, dude, <laughs> like, did you really just He's say that? He's a doctor? He's a doctor, yeah. And I don't want to say that, you know, he's a, a bad guy for saying that. I just want to say that it's like such an extraordinary set of circumstances. There's like such um, strong emotive issues involved in COVID that it's like you really have to get your, your Occam's razor, you know, um, get your kit sharpened up because things are not really... Obvious, they're really, really difficult. And it is, again, I keep sort of thinking about the effects of, of distance, of, of physical distance that kind of scares me. It's like, what happens to, you know, just mental well-being um, when I don't touch another person, but also immune system build up and, you know, it's like, it's a little bit like most technical stuff, you know, if you have an engine that works, well, you need to run it now and again to make sure that it keeps on working. If if it works and you then don't use it for 10 years, well, likelihood is it won't work in 10 years when you need it. So you need to, you know, crank it up once a month. Um, and the immune system is like, well, you know, it's like it's it's we live in a symbiotic relationship with a heck of a lot of bacteria and and now and again sort of you know just testing the immune system making sure it works you know we we kind of need that so will this long term have effects that we really have no clue about um both physically and mentally um you know kids small kids who are now 
made to understand that it's dangerous to hug granny and grandpa and you know cousins and whatnot. It's like, what's the what's the sort of the known unknown that we're tossing into the mix here? What mm. will be the effects of that? Um, will this be a little bump? A little bump in the road and you know come a few years we've all forgotten it and it's gone or is this really something that has long-term effects that will be lasting mm. some some might be beneficial some might not be i don't know mm. because we met up with when we were up now for these machine tests, for some reason or another, we also met up with a former colleague of mine just for uh, for a skinny dip in the ocean, actually. And it's like, well, I haven't seen him in three years or something. Like, oh, I'd love to hug him and just hug him for a while, you know? It's like, oh. Uh, you're not supposed to. It's like, oh, it's so, so uncomfortable to have this, this, this distance, mm. this imposed distance mm. that is supposed to save us. It's like, well, at at what cost? I keep coming back to that. What's the cost for this? Yeah, and more and more people are asking it, uh, what is the necessity about? Yeah. And, and I can, again, I don't read a lot. I don't snoop around. I have no clue of how the numbers work, etc. But you know, yesterday it said in the paper, a hundred new deaths of COVID in Sweden. And I'm guessing then reported in the last 24 hours. But what does that mean? Compared to what? Again, you know, compared to what? Mm. Is it people with COVID when they die? Is it people who die from COVID? Can you die from COVID? Is it people who die from pneumonia they get because they have COVID? Is it somebody who broke and hit their head? You know, it had nothing to do with COVID, but they had COVID. It's like, I don't... You can't say those things because then you hurt the feelings of the people who lost someone with COVID. Yeah, because it's a horrendous disease and you're not taking care of their feelings. Well, it is a horrendous disease. Dude, you're so sensitive. And I still don't know if, you know, and I'm guessing it would be, you know, if one of my old people dies now. It's like, I would want to know. Okay, yeah, here's a COVID-related death. What does that mean? Is it? Isn't it? And how does it compare to, you know, the, the normal rate of dying? Um, so just, just numbers, 
I'm guessing in a sense that's what Hans Riesling was very good at. He was very good at somehow relating numbers. He might have related totally odd numbers to each other, but he still related them. So it gave me some sense of, okay, this compared to that. And then I could feel into it. Does it feel like it's a lot or a little or whatever? Um, but a hundred new deaths, 2,000 new cases, Norton, that was in Skåne, 9,000 new cases and a hundred new deaths. Okay. Mm. What does that mean? Yeah, and without having that perspective, um, it's very easy to get really, really emotive about the stuff. Yeah. And I think that's been an aspect of the process from the very beginning. And one of the reasons why I quite admire <clears throat> the Swedish Health Authority, because they've been so, like, Swedish about it. <clears throat> they've been just calm, you know, and contained, and uh, let's not get too excited. And, um, you know, that, that kind of message has been very much part of their world. By comparison, the American equivalent, uh, Anthony Fauci, um, who's become a hero because he's sort of criticized by Trump um, or was criticized by Trump. Um, <clears throat> there's this great moment where Fauci makes a presentation to Congress and says that um, COVID will have a 10 times higher mortality rate than the common flu. Um, this is like last March. Um, I mean, he has absolutely no reason to say something like that. Uh, it's uh, just complete speculation. You know. well, there's so many questions. When? Mm. How? Where? Yeah. Why? Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of questions that need to be asked um, and how that happens. And, and in one analysis of, of uh, uh, Fauci's, uh, <clears throat> how should one say it? Um, Fauci's expression of the seriousness of the situation, there's a really great discussion on uh, how easily uh, different data sets get confused. So uh, during his presentation, for example, Fauci continuously can just conflates case mortality with uh, infection rate mortality, and these are dramatically different, uh, different numbers, you know. I mean, in the sense that if you have 10 cases, if one case in 10 is, is, is fatal, uh, then you have a 10% mortality rate. But if it's infection rate, um, then uh, that's a different thing. That means that maybe 100 people are infected, but there are only 10 cases. Then suddenly we're down to 1%. And these kind of numbers about COVID are very disturbing. Um, in the sense that there's an incredible organized response um, for something that suggests that it's not nearly as serious as the hundred deaths on the front page suggest every week, you know, um, compared to, to regular flu seasons, compared to regular uh, mortality rates in a population, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of problems to, to understand. And certainly there are, you know, indicators that it's a disease that's, that's 
opportunistic and that targets very specific population groups um, and certain age groups and you know that all of these these cohorts definitely require more protection, different kinds of, of engagement, et cetera, et cetera. But the way in which we sort of deal with the situation as, as uh, somehow homogenous, um, that everything is the same everywhere, um, results exactly as you say, Lena, in these weird situations where, I mean, this week, one of the, I think it's a, an American governor, uh, in any case, when a senior state official um, sort of bought a advertisement uh, where um, he or she, I think it's she, um, in a in a Santa Claus suit, is telling kids to avoid their parents at Christmas. Um, <laughs> I think like, whoa, man! You know, it's like. I mean, the message is, uh, hi, this is Santa. There's going to be no Christmas this year. So, you know, um, don't That's get too close. That's interesting because I've also heard of the opposite, that some somebody somewhere has now come out and, and said publicly that Santa is very conscientious about hygiene and, and stuff. So it's no worries you, you can. I think it was an Irish. Iceland. Iceland, Iceland, I think it was, okay. and yeah. they would in know. the parliament. They would, and know. it would be, it's okay. It's like Christmas gifts. You can, and you you may, and you should, and I'm like, okay. So mm. we're we're like state sanctioning the the illusionment of, of what? No, the disillusionment of children. No, the illusionment. What do you say? Let's fuck the kids up and prove that Santa exists. He does not exist, <laughs> actually. It's like, oh, uh, yeah. this is weird, is it not? Well, yeah, it's weird. Um, I mean, this week there's been quite a, uh, how should one put it, an outbreak um, of uh, sort of uh, organized resistance from within top leadership in the Catholic Church. Uh, people have had some very fucking serious things to say. I mean, like senior bishops, people that are on the uh, uh, inner committees, um, you know, uh, senior cardinals, people that are basically on the same in the same group that the Pope gets chosen from, so to speak. You know, the conclave, um, isn't it? Well, the the conclave is when they when they choose him, but there is a oh. um, you could call it a justice committee where people deal with with issues of of judgments that need to be made on moral issues or ethical issues and so on. Um, and I mean, the the message is that COVID is a scam. Um, it's infringing on um, on our moral and and ethical and and religious rights and that it's intended to oppress people and that it has the same uh, agenda as communism and I mean like very very strong um, you know uh, uh, statements that you know otherwise are attributed to Trump supporters um, so maybe you know all of Trump land went Catholic I'm not sure but um, uh, jokes aside uh, it's it's for me in any case very engaging how um, the 
this experience is, as you say, Helena, that there's there's this sort of broad range of issues and uh, um, effects that slowly people are noticing, whether by data, looking at how children are feeling psychologically, what sort of um, uh, uh, psychological states or possibly uh, conditions or syndromes may emerge um, to what the, the political dynamics are around COVID. It's, um, it's unlikely that it's just going to be a, a glitch in, I mean, yeah, you know, a sort of blip right, that nobody yeah. notices. But I think the thing that nobody's really going to be um, looking at a hundred years from now is the actual disease. And and I was also just thinking about this. You know, Sweden is a country of of like a lot of of kids have divorced or separated parents and live one week here, one week there, or two weeks, or whatever the numbers are. And is like that's also one of those things. Okay, social distancing, stay in your bubbles, even though in Sweden we haven't officially like voiced the fact that you could have a little huddle bubble with, you know, one family that you can hang with or, you know. In the new restrictions there is there is a suggestion that you get a bubble. Yeah, and, and I, is, I mean, and I know in the so UK... Swedish, that's so beautifully Swedish that we have restrictions that are suggestions? Yeah. Well, so the UK has the bubbles, and, and that's been quite... But it's like, okay, where do the kids fit in then? Because, you know, they will be part of this bubble that week and that bubble next week, unless the, the divorcees then huddle bubble Share together... Share a bubble, yeah, because it, it's like, you know. It's a conspiracy to get mom and dad back together again. Possibly, possibly. I'm not sure how well that will work in many cases. But it's, it's, it's again weird how, how that fucks you up because it's like my kids are big and, and it's the youngest who, who do two weeks here and two weeks there. Um, and the two well, they aren't infectious. Isn't huh? that the conclusion we've drawn? What? Kids aren't infectious. Well, he's 16, so he's he's getting to Well, if fact. you're and, if and you're like, under 18, you know, you just don't get the virus. Yeah. You well, can't carry it. It's I don't too think heavy. that's no, I would I don't say know how it even works, smaller. If that was the case, then gymnasium school wouldn't be as distancing as they are, would they? But regardless, it's like, what do you do? How do you do? It's like, well, he continues. But should I then hop up and hug him when he comes? Or should I quarantine him for two weeks so I can hug him when he leaves? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, ah. Don't you pin your kids down and tickle them for like half an hour? No. When they arrive and so no. 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 Well, okay. no, he would scream and hit me for doing that. He wants to get the computer up and running and then on. Game on. 
So, no, I don't actually. I thought that was normal, you know. Well, yeah, also, well, the screaming and hitting and so on, just... <laughs> Part of the ritual. Yeah. Part of the ritual, yeah. But yeah, on, on, on the issues of, of, of child infections, I mean, um, this is also one of those sort of contentious issues um, because when, when school started up after summer, um, in the US, for example, there was uh, huge political issues around uh, um, uh, junior school or whatever it's called, going, going back to school. Um, and in Sweden, they did start school again. Uh, now we have, uh, well, it's the end of term, so nobody's at school, but they did start to restrict um, <clears throat> What are they called? High schools? Um, yeah, the equivalent of high schools, yeah. Mm. Uh, what is about two weeks ago? Um, no, I think a lot of them have actually done that since the, the fall break in the beginning of November, having, you know, okay, it, half, yeah. of the, half of the class can be in school on even weeks and half of them will be there uneven yeah. weeks. And yeah, so that is what I was... Sort of loosened or you know spread the spread them thinner and then well you're trying to create to, social distancing uh, yeah precisely. so i think two weeks ago they went into distance learning for mm. the high schools mm. um, but i mean part of that discussion was again that uh, there's no indication that children have been uh, major uh, uh, disease spreaders infection spreaders um, and why can't they then hug Granny? Yeah, interesting question. But at the moment, in 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 Sweden anyway, there is a pretty extensive spread of disease in schools. Um, and I know at at my kids' schools, uh, both at the high school and junior school level, there's been um, kids with COVID. Um, and this is different from the spring, you know. I mean, mm. that's just uh, how it is, <laughs> that it, it hasn't really responded in the same way. And that, that seems to also be part of, of, the, of the picture that new situations emerge, new issues emerge. Coming back to Hans Rosling, um, I mean, he's also for me. Uh, um, it's like a good example of of, of quite a bit of this uh, COVID crisis, you know, because Rosling published this book just before his death a few years ago or two years ago, I can't remember, uh, called. Factfulness. You need to know about the fact, yeah, factfulness. Factfulness. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, factfulness is 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 basically this this doctrine that became extremely popular, uh, especially amongst um, uh, sort of successive American uh, administrations and subsequently some other 
Western administrations at Rosling basically says that we've never had it better. Um, and presents this, um, this data set called Gapminder, which is run by uh, his daughter, I think, um, is the, the current. His son. His son, carrier of the son. candle. Well, both of them. I I've seen a talk with both of them at least, so I think they're both involved. Yeah, but it's maybe a husband and wife team. Husband and wife team. They they do the yeah yeah yeah. And the basic idea is that yes, poverty is terrible, but it's never been as low as it is now. Um, and that basically any disaster um, uh, data you can come up with, or disaster phenomena you can come up with. Um, Hans Rosling will show you that um, the data contradicts your idea that everything's going to shit. That in fact, the direction is good in a, pretty much in every single possible metric you can imagine. Um, and there's been, you know, a lot of pushback on that, and people have have pointed out some really interesting uh, gaps in the. In the studies, in the if in the gap minder, there's gaps in the gap minder. Um, for example, in, in um, income differences, that um, <clears throat> one of the the sort of I don't know if you're being ungenerous, you could call it one of the illusions of of um, the work, and if you uh, sort of more generous, you could call it um, sort of one of the features of the work or something like that. Um, but depending on how far you zoom out or how close you are to looking at the, the data sets, um, income differences look dramatically different. So from Rosling's point of view, there are these uh, sort of more or less four income groups and, um, you know, uh, they're, not, they're not that serious. They're actually quite okay and so on. And then uh, people sort of respond by saying, well, if you look at these things a little more closely, if you put the contexts and the perspectives together into some sort of uh, picture that resembles actual lives, um, they're very fucking serious. Um, and they're definitely not tending towards the, the right direction. And this sort of um, theme of everything's better than it's ever been, and the other um, message of everything's going to shit um, is really consistent in things like climate change, um, also in the COVID data, um, that there's a, a really interesting sort of aspect of our, of our culture at this time, that it, it's, that data allows us to see the world in, in, in very different ways that can be sort of quite confidently called scientific. I mean, I sent you guys a link uh, to a, a, a paper that's um, published in, I think, Nature, uh, where they looked at 36 meta-studies. I mean, that's a fuck of a lot of data. Looking at something like, uh, in, in the studies, they refer to uh, around 5,000 individual uh, uh, metrics on um, threshold indicators in uh, environmental change. 
And they conclude basically that all of the talk about uh, threshold indicators is total bullshit, that there is not data to support threshold indicators um, in climate change discourse. But threshold indicators is like a major part of the menu for the sort of Greta Thunberg uh, world of climate change alarm, you know, that, that everything's going over a tipping point. Johan um, Rockström. For example, yeah. Um, Who's that? Swedish. <laughs> don't look whatever. at me like that. I don't know well, who he yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Johan Rockström in Stockholm is, well, he's, he's one of the Swedish environmental whatever agency, something or other, not, a, not governmental, but, but sort of organization. Mm. And he's the, he, he's the former head of the Stockholm Resilience Center. That's the one. Yeah. I think he's what you could call a, a climate change careerist. Oh, yeah, yeah. sure. He, he's steadily working his way up the ladder and yeah. is now based in Berlin. Mm. So what about him? Well, you know, um, it's kind of like The, the experience that I get out of it is, is maybe something similar to um, uh, we talk about uh, economics, you know, in the beginning of our COVID discussions about how growth and, and all these kind of things uh, justify a whole bunch of other um, beliefs and perceptions and, and uh, actions and so on. And it doesn't really matter what the the data is, what the hard science is. So you could have these hard science people saying, but the data says this or that. And uh, in a short amount of time, you'll experience some other data that says um, that and the other, something completely different. And that uh, this phenomena of uh, polarized or apparently polarized uh, fact or truth um, is sort of one of those uh, simple realities that we have to deal with and come to terms with that more than likely these are both and scenarios that both of these things are true at the same time, possibly in slightly different ways, in different contexts, in, in, in uh, different category areas or dimensions or whatever, but it's not the case that the one contradicts the other, but rather that these two things actually are uh, uh, verifiable at the same time. And that uh, as long as we're pursuing some sort of, of absolute moment of, of, well, this is the truth about COVID, this is the truth about climate change, um, it leads to this kind of emotional state of, of anxiety where it's very hard to determine what the fuck is going on around us. And we start to develop um, explanatory models to get over our emotional states um, and generate more science out of those emotional states rather than uh, necessarily what's real in the world around us. So we sort of become, uh, if you like, more disembodied. Uh, we sort of become yeah. more... Uh, mentalized or, or yeah precisely or, so this is 
what I hear you say or what I'm, I think when I listen to you is this is like the, the ultimate uh, show of dualism. It's like, here we are at, you know, this is the top show, the, the, the most flashy show that we've ever put on to prove dualism um, that there is a right and a wrong and it's like you need to work it this way. COVID is bad and we need to fight it this way. Um, and climate change is kind of the same. The discourse around climate change is the same. It is either you're with us or you're against us. It's, it's that. Exactly. Like it's a, the war on terror, you know, it's like. Precisely. Mm. So what I'm positing is that, um, you know, if you zoom out of this problem um, and you start to remove the, the nouns and the adjectives, then all of these things look dramatically similar. They look like the same program with a slightly different uh, sort of user interface. You know, it's like very much the same operating platform. And it doesn't necessarily give better access to the uh, sort of inherent truths in any, in any subject. Um, but it does make it possible to participate in the game. Um, you can engage in right or wrong or uh, I believe this or uh, you're just a this or that or this person's a hero of the people or that person is, uh, you know, just... Um, ripping us off or whatever the case might be. Or, um, and coming through that, uh, you know, trying to raise awareness to a level of, of, of not responding to either of these two uh, uh, kind of poles of stimulus um, and trying to perceive the, the subject for what it is um, I think it's really kind of possibly at the limit of our consciousness, you know, um, or beyond the limit of our consciousness, that it's, uh, these are issues that are so big, the sort of hyper-object quality of it um, is one of the, the problems. We can't really understand climate change because it's too big to understand. We can't understand mm -hmm. COVID because it's too big to understand. And whether that's true or not ceases to be interesting because everything is so emotionally loaded. It's so gripping. It's like you're compelled to engage in the, in the, in the game in the way that it's presented, even if you don't understand the rules or um, you're not aware of what the playing field is, you have to participate in some way, either by the government decree or by social pressure or whatever the case might be. If you look at someone like uh, Bjorn Lomberg, for example, the, the hated mm. climate change man. Bjorn Lomberg, Danish person. Danish person of note. Yeah. So Lomberg um, 
I mean, he's he's very engaged in climate change, but he's uh, a guy that basically says, uh, much like uh, Schellenberger, the um, the recent America American, I think he's Canadian uh, theorist. His book is called uh, Apocalypse Never. Um, yeah, and he's he's a like an environmental activist. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Schell- yeah. Schellenberger is like a career yeah. environmentalist who. Yeah. has broken ranks, you know. Um, yeah. uh, Lomberg, one couldn't say, is a career environmentalist. He's like a, no, he's career, a career contrarian. <laughs> well, he's a contrarian. He runs, a, um, I think, a think tank in, in, in Copenhagen, and they publish quite a lot of materials on, on uh, different strategic issues in, in uh, primarily economics. So the whole focus is on economics. But uh, Lomberg will just lay out, you know, huge amounts of apparently good research to suggest that, yeah, climate change is quite serious, but Jesus, do you guys have to overreact to the degree that you are? Do you not actually appreciate that you basically are going to achieve the thing yourself that you're saying that climate change is going to lead to? That all of these uh, sort of um, anti-growth behaviors that you're engaged in will eventually lead to the total destruction of humanity. Um, and he'll present, you know, his, I think his book is called something like 50 ways to save the planet from climate change or something like that. And he has all these like really practical ways of dealing with it. And his whole approach is to say, yes, it's serious, but Jesus, there's like really like not so difficult things that we can do. Um, doesn't require that much. It's actually quite inexpensive and um but so two things first thing is i'm looking out the window because there's a red little squirrel that's just going bonkers in the tree outside so it's kind of hard to keep my focus sorry about that you're kind of trumped by this cute little thing and second one of the things that you point to, Dominic, over and over again, that is tankespian, extraordinary, it's hard to wrap my head around in this doing culture, is what we've mentioned before too. You know, stop, don't do. Every time you try to fix a problem, you're effectively cutting off the head of the hydra and getting two more. And then you continue and continue. And what I make of Lomberg is he's a fixer. He's not a fixer. He just wants everybody else to fix. So that's what he says. Don't just focus on this one big thing, you know, fix the lot yeah. and you'll fix the one big thing too. But what do you make of that given your like stop, don't fix, hands off? question mm. yeah you know I mean I think that uh, uh, let's let's first put this in perspective you know I think Lomberg is like a, a sort of um, one of our intellectual giants you know he's like recognized uh, uh, broadly as as someone who's who's uh, broken through quite a lot of of uh, difficult thought barriers um and i certainly don't want to put myself at that level you know 
because <laughs> I haven't done any of that shit, you know. Um, and his approach, I think, is 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 um, is well grounded and very ethical in the sense that he's very transparent about what his his assumptions and axioms are. Um, he doesn't try and disguise uh, any political interests or any of these kind of things, um, and uh, certainly invariably uh, whatever I think of that sort of issue that you're raising around let's just sort of do shit because it's better than not doing anything um, I mean Lomberg I don't think is just into doing shit because it's not it's because better than not doing anything so for example with um, the 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 coming Biden administration he points out that um, uh, there is a very clear relationship with uh, innovation and climate mitigation um, so that the more you inv invest in, in innovation, the higher that your rates of, of climate mitigation are going to be. Um, and in order for you to invest in innovation, you have to invest in research, you have to create these, these possibilities. And he points out that um, Biden has this uh, idea of a hundred billion fund or trillion gazillion uh, whatever it is, um, and that the absolute majority of that money is just going to be um, cream, you know, for all of the political participants. This is just like fucking greasing palms. Um, and that if that uh, money had been put into research, you can show with very good data that funding innovation research will have the following exact uh, predictable results, you know. So I don't think Lomberg is the guy that says, let's just do some shit. Um, his approaches are uh, uh, really quite sort of grounded into uh, the very theory that he's coming out of. And the theory that he's coming out of is that um, economic growth uh, based on innovation is really, really good for everybody and the planet. Um, and that certain exceptions result and that, uh, you know, they are bad situations, et cetera, et cetera, but they can be dealt with. Um, but we have to approach them from this point of view of, of economy as central. This is our value, you know? So I just want to sort of preface that and say that, that um, I don't think Lomberg is an ideologue in the sense that uh, uh, the opposite side of the fence is where there's a lot of talk about uh, climate change and that um, we should tax uh, airplane flights or something like that because that's a, a very different type of discussion. Um, and I do think that um, there is, uh, from my point of view, this very sort of unfortunate world that we live in, in which we very easily uh, give up our experience of presence in our own consciousnesses uh, for participation in stuff. I mean, like projected out into activities, into dealing with problems, uh, fixing, and these kind of uh, uh, activities that um, support habits like meaningless consumption. 
And I think that's one of the reasons why I sort of go, mm, whenever I see a Bjorn Lomberg article in the newspapers here in Sweden or anything, because that's how I perceive people using him as their, oh, I can just continue doing precisely the shit I'm doing, mindless consumption, yay! You know, because he says, you know, it's not as, you know, it's like, it's, it's it, and and I haven't been astute enough to figure out that his message is actually quite wise because he's used by people who say, fuck this shit, I can just continue living, pissing, you know, on everything and everyone. Um, so I might have confused the, the message and the messenger there. Uh. Well, I think that's also part of the game, you know. Um, I mean, because I the also other think we... those people are the ones. I also think those people are the ones who fund him, who who give him, you know, who buy his Sorry, books, internet bad um. crash. Yeah, you're going robotic. I, I. Yeah, there he went again. Perfect model pose. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, Hello. there they are. Hi. He's back. Yeah. Could you could you go um, sort of just back the tape a little bit? I said, I think when you froze, I said, my suspicion is also because. I think those people who use his words as an excuse to continue doing precisely what they're doing are the ones who fund him. They're the ones who buy his book. They're the ones who, who spread his message. Um, and that gives me like, oh, this is uncomfortable. There's something here. I think Dean needs to get, oh, there he is again. No. Yes. Jesus back. Jesus <laughs> back. Yeah, those bad funders. Well, isn't it kind of the same thing that we talked about a couple of months ago with Jordan Peterson? I'm quite sure we we spoke about this that that the message is you know his core message is really be a good Christian if if you take a look at his ideology and and his background he's just made the bible very simple with 12 steps into the modern modern world rather than thou shalt not whatever he says make your bed and we're like, oh, I have a bed. You know, and so so the message, if you read him, is very different from the message if you read other people speaking about him. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Mm. Squirrel still going at it? No, no, I'm just thinking. I'm processing. Um, 
have you seen that uh, T-shirt? Um, it's like, uh, you know, the classic ACDC? Um, <laughs> ADHD? ADHD, yeah. Where they, they have the ACDC um, for those about to rock. So it says ADHD and then it says for those about to, ooh, there's a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> You can give me that one for Christmas. I think so. I like squirrels. Mm. I think in in sorry, you go. No, no, you go. No, but in in the. In terms of these people, what, what was his face? Bjorn Lomberg. Bjorn Lomberg. Um, Lomberg. Yeah, whatever. Since he's Danish. Lomberg. Yeah, whatever. Um, I mean, from from their point of view, they they have a very so they being Bjorn and and. Um, Jordan in this case, but but being representatives of sort of standing for something and being misinterpreted or mm. just in general being interpreted mm. for that mm. message. Mm. They have a very asymmetric um, fuck, fuck you. Go very for it. Much. Go for it. Go for it. No, but they have a very asymmetric position in 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 the world, in the market, in the whatever you know, in in their outlook. Because regardless of what they say, people are going to react to it, and when people do, they start noticing. Mm. So we we would never have heard about Jordan if he wouldn't have had critics. But it also works the other way around, doesn't it? There's a very low risk of actually criticizing and a high reward in terms of if I say that, if I were to criticize Bjorn for, for being an environmental skeptic or, or whatever, I go out on Twitter, I would get a lot of people on my team. You would. Yeah, you would. A lot. And and the same thing would well, probably not with Twitter, but but Facebook and, and Instagram, I would get a lot of people on my team if I were to criticize Jordan Peterson. Mm. Um and I'm just thinking about the the the, the whole sort of both attention, perception, you know, time market of it all. There, there's really a very small downside of, of being a skeptic today. So my, my question then would be that um, if you change platforms, um, and you you put yourself into 
Reddit or Parler or something like that, um, well, people are just going to tell you to wake the fuck up, you know. They're going to say you're a, you're a woke snowflake uh, desperately seeking likes and attention and that you've, you've come to the wrong party. So, I mean, provided you're in the right context, uh, you can absolutely criticize the right people. But you can't go on Trump and talk about that. You can't go on Twitter and talk about how not everything Trump did was bad. That's not going to sort of lead to people. That's not going to fly. No. But if you did the same thing on Parler, people would go like. What's Parler? Parler is, um, is a alternative to Twitter. So when Twitter started to uh, censor uh, materials that they deemed right-wing or supportive of Trump or whatever, um, this, uh, you know, alternative started. Mm-hmm. Parler. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair point. But the, the but asymmetrical also... aspect of it is absolutely right because these, the, 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 the degree of influence that these people have is obviously enormously inflated by social media. Um, and this is why uh, uh, Steve Bannon is such a genius in the way that he gets uh, Trump into office because he, uh, to use his expression, you just fill the pipe with shit, you know. That is the leverage. The, the content is completely irrelevant. Um, it's the, the feeling stuff. It's getting people to sort of respond to the blood in the water or whatever you want to call it, as long as there's attention. Yeah, so people are not necessarily thinking a hell of a lot about what Jordan Peterson says, as you say, you know. Um, but it's very, Most people don't even know. Yeah, they just know that he's a bad guy. Or alternatively, that anybody that thinks Jordan Peterson is a bad guy is a, you know, um, a bad person, a sort of woke or whatever, you know, uh, naive. Yeah, but that kind of uh, sort of uh, split worldview has become pretty much uh, uh, amplified or predominant in the way that we deal with it. But the the interesting part for me is this um, asymmetric relationship that. Um, regardless of what these people are actually talking about, that the fact that they talk about anything at all um, has such an effect. There was an article yesterday in the liberal press um, where uh, vaccine skeptics are bundled with um, Holocaust deniers. Just like straight up in the... (laughs) You know, it's like, wow. You guys. You know, unfortunately, they forgot to put in climate change deniers in the same title, but that really would have been appropriate because it's, they're all the same people. It's like a gateway drug, you know, if you, if you start believing in, in in climate change denial, then probably, uh, you know, you smoked some uh, Holocaust denial a few years ago and now you move on to heavier stuff and suddenly you're against vaccines. It's very similar stuff, you know. It's like there's, there's a, um, a significant degree of disempowerment in the consumption of these materials. 
and there's no point in was... you in you taking on this stuff in the wrong war theater because you'll just get totally crushed. Mm. Elena, what were you about to well, say? Well, I was I was gonna bring up. I think we've touched on this before too. Mm. That. That documentary about the flat earthers, whatever it was called, <laughs> I couldn't go yeah. through more than half of it because it just, oh, no, Ooh. I don't want to. It's wonderful. And it's kind of the same. It's like, it's interesting to, you know, it's like it turns me into, you know, the person visiting the zoo, watching the gorillas behind bars, in a sense, and that specific gorilla then turns into the, the representative of gorillas, period, even though it's fucking far away from any natural habitat and, you know. But it's like, oh, here's proof. This is how gorillas do it, because I've seen it with my own eyes. And a lot of these documentaries or type things, like they 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 frame a or a few people as this is what it's like. This is the proof. Here we have it on tape. It's it's like recorded. It's documented. Living proof. Bam! There you go. Because uh, I'm pretty sure there are idiots anti-vaxxers and there's really brilliant anti-vaxxers as there are really idiot climate change denier as there are absolutely stunningly intelligent and brilliant climate change deniers you know it's like and they can be assholes or you know the sweetest person alive you have it all but i get like three people in a documentary then i know what it's like mm. proof which is just another way of filling the pipes with shit. Mm. And I think and, there's, and, there's, there's yeah. value in, in following that trail, you know, into, I mean, one of the areas we've touched on uh, is, for example, education and how we understand education. And that a, a huge amount of research around education is supposedly about how children learn. Um, but the actual research is about how children respond in classrooms mm. and how we can manipulate that behavior to look like learning, how it can affirm our sort of idea of what schools are supposed to be for and et cetera, et cetera. And that type of... of um, that that style of thinking, that strategy of approaching your research questions must come from somewhere. I mean, it comes out of the culture that, that is underlying those processes. And that culture is maintained, you know, through, for example, um, education, the ethics and, and basic uh, uh, um, premises of, of why children should go to school, why you should get an education, why you should get a a tertiary education or whatever the case might be. And that continuously sort of feeds into this loop where 
you're going to be making documentaries that affirm your particular bias. And in order not to be in that confirmation bias circle, um, you really have to make a, a considerable effort, I mean, as an individual, um, to, to really get into this sort of sense of that, oh, okay, how does this feel for me? Where am I, where am I in my own feelings when I'm watching this kind of, of documentary or reading this research because something feels a bit off? Um, and that might have to do with that something is off for the research, but it might also have to do with um, there's an indication of my own personal biases and sort of raising your game into a, a, a different arena of, of saying, well, everybody is right. There's none of the stuff that doesn't have some validity. There's none of the stuff that doesn't contain some truth and all of it contains lots of truthfulness. Most of these people are completely convinced about what it is they, they're engaged with, even when they're acting in bad faith, even when they're involved in propaganda, that there is truthfulness involved. There's good intention, you know, there's, a, and there's an interest in achieving some sort of, of, of common good. Um, I haven't seen the Flat Earthers documentary. You're welcome to, to link it. Caspian, can you link it? You know what it's called. I don't. I don't want to know what it's called. I mean, isn't it quite a phenomenon? There's like hundreds of videos. Yeah, but there's this one that was on Netflix that. Um, yeah, it's painful. It's painful. I think I watched half, and I that half I watched in like two or three goes because I couldn't. It's like just, oh, it's like crawls in me. Um, yeah, it's just called Flat Earth or Flat Earth. On Netflix. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, Netflix. Cool. Yeah, cool. Now we know what Dominic will be doing today. Get your popcorns ready and that cocktail. Well, I think I think just just to to sort of get a direction of of what to look at in in all of this because I think it's heavily misinterpreted. All of these phenomena are are just the the analysis is scaring me of what people sort of have as takeaways from them, regardless of whether it's Holocaust deniers, um, environmentalist deniers, flat earthers, whatever. You know, it's about community, and I think that's what this documentary shows, and I think that's that's the important part of. The documentary. It's not about them doing an experiment on whether or not the earth is flat. Um, it's about them being together. Mm. They have conventions of thousands of people mm. yearly that go across the, you know, from, from all, all places of the earth, come together and are together. Mm. That, that's the whole thing. That's the spiel. Mm. 
But that is the half that I watched. That's not, it's like you see that, but that's not what the message of the movie or the documentary is. No, Maybe, I and, right? and, and the doc, the documentary filmers are are completely Precisely, out of yeah. bounds here. Whereas the uh, deep listening, no, or yeah, deep listening, or with um, Deja Khan in the Simon Sinek podcast, she speaks to to precisely that, um, and it's like, oh yeah, wait, here's something that's. That's, you know, because you're right, that aspect isn't spoken about as much, even though, in a sense, the community and community building is, is I would say, one of the top drivers of, of everything we do as humans. It is. Find your people. It is. Find your tribe. It is. Who's the people that I can, you know raise an eyebrow at, look at, and they will know precisely what it is that I mean. Um, kasam, you know, that feeling of... of, of uh, deep meaning. Deep meaning and togetherhood, togetherness. Um, yeah. I think Seth brought up... Uh, um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but, but some some sort of research. Uh, people had interviewed people of um, so so the study was basically, if I remember correctly, they'd asked people whether or not they were Holocaust deniers in the U.S. and they got X percent of people saying yes. Um, and in, then in the other group, they stated 30% of Americans are Holocaust deniers. Are you one of them? And far fewer people responded yes to it mm. when stated that you're part of the, the or even, you know, 60% or something like that. You're, you're part of the in-group if you say yes. Um, because they wanted to be the outlier. Mm. That's how much we, we want to be part of our group. So hang on, you have higher rates of response when um, there's a statistic involved? No, you have fewer that say that they are Holocaust deniers when you say that there are more. So in the first example, mm. you just ask them, are you a Holocaust denier? Mm. Or you state a fact of, I can't remember this ex exactly. Yeah, but you have a higher it, rate but, of response than when you say 30 people are Holocaust deniers, are you one of them? No, well, well the, the sort of the, the takeaway for, for Seth and for myself, I have to say I, I subscribe heavily to this thought, is that when, when the majority, when you say that the majority is this, are you one of them? The same people that that previously said yes now say no. Because they identify as someone who is not 
of the majority group. Mm. And then you could and ask the, them anything. And the takeaway is that people want to be outliers. Tribes. Yeah. That people, people what about look tribes? For tribes? People they look for tribes. They want to be part of tribes. Mm. And it doesn't have to be I'm a Holocaust denier, but rather there's a deeper meaning of I'm an outlier. I'm a whole I'm a foods buyer or, you know, I shop all I'm my not a whole veg foods vegetables, buyer. organic or in heck, no, no organic here. Uh, I'm not really clear. Um, I'll try to find the, the clip where he says it and, and I'll get back to you guys. I mean, for me, the, the basic use of the word denier, for example, um, is a real classic Russell conjugation. A what now? A Russell conjugation. Which Russell? So you're not, you're not asking people whether they believe in something, you're asking whether they deny it. Um, you're not asking whether they agree with it, you're not asking whether they have a view on it, you're asking do you deny it? So you're really setting up a specific set of, of responses, you know? Um, and I think that's also the kind of thing that I'm pointing at with this uh, uh, article on, on vaccine deniers or like, you know, um, uh, uh, Holocaust deniers. Um, mm. I'm not, I'm not really sort of getting it, but I mean, the issue of, of tribal identity, I think is really, really interesting and important and, and, and worth exploring um, mm. because it, 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 there's kind of two levels to it, you know, that there is, I mean, I know that Seth has been very much pro-tribal, um, what's he called, Seth? Godin. Godin, that's what it is, yeah. So he's, I'm afraid that you guys are much more up on this, but I'm aware that he has this thing of that you should, you know, find your tribe or develop your tribe or whatever, you know. Um, and there's other perspectives on, on, on tribes and tribalism in a modern context that are um, possibly positive and, and possibly less positive. Um, you know, that there are um, aspects of, of that type of identification that are not necessarily conducive to um, developing perspective, that there's a, a lot of um, inward looking, self-affirming uh, type of stuff that happens. And, and uh, certainly um, these kind of groupings like, you know, flat earthers, one could say, are uh, examples of these kind of tribes. There's no reason why you shouldn't put um, climate change researchers into the same bag, you know. I mean, here are people that are... And, and that's well, they're why, doing it for science. Well, they are, but I think that it's important that if you're going to use terms like deniers, then you also use, should use terms like believers. Um, because there is a lot of believing, you know, there's a sort of open statement why don't you believe the scientists? Um, you should believe the scientists. Uh, all this kind of stuff, you know. Um, and it's not, in, in, in that context, it's not odd for me that, for example, the Catholic Church 
uh, would make these kind of statements uh, that for me seem entirely appropriate in the context of issues of belief mm. because the boundaries of uh, church and science have kind of been um, uh, uh, violated several times, that there is an insistence on that you must believe, you must uh, participate in these, these symbolic activities, you must go to confession, you must uh, uh, do communion, you know, it's a little bit like uh, participating in, in, in mass demonstrations of, of um, COVID awareness or all this kind of stuff when, uh, you know, people that are so-called atheists will sort of say, well, there's no evidence of God or there's no evidence of the Annunciation or whatever. Um, but the evidence of COVID is actually uh, fucking disturbing in terms of what the kind of responses are. Uh, likewise, in the, in the Lomberg universe, um, the reality of, of, of climate issues is very deeply disturbing in terms of, of what choices are being made. And in fact, in, in, in Lomberg's world, uh, the, the, the climate activism world, the sort of, um, uh, uh, what do they call them, uh, COP25, COP25 and 26 and etc. the Paris agreements, do exactly the thing that will make the situation worse. But we believe. We do believe. I was at um, the, uh, what are they called, the International uh, Panel for Climate Change, IPCC, the UN panel, uh, and they made their, then they released their new data um, in uh, Stockholm at the Resilience Center, it was uh, 2015, I think, um, and I happened to get a, a ticket so I could and sit and observe um, and it was all very serious and it was like you know the right atmosphere and tra-la-la um, and uh, there was this guy from the from the UN from the IPCC I think his name is Klein uh, who did the presentation and um, it had this real sort of um, you know TED talk sort of quality to it you know a little bit of mansplaining climate change to the rest of the world. Um, and he goes through the, the, the process that they've been through within the, the, the panel. And basically what it, what, it, what it boils down to is that they've had all this, this um, research data come in. And then um, these people that sit in the panel who are non-scientists, many of them, um, develop a statement. And... Um, and that statement is then presented to uh, country representatives. And these country representatives negotiate the removal or inclusion of certain terms in order to come to a final agreement as to what we can agree on. So one of the um, professors from the, the Polar Institute in Stockholm, is a, that's a very old, sort of old um, academic institute studying polar dynamics. I mean, the pole, uh, the actual North Pole or whatever. Um, so he, 
puts up his hand and he says, um, well, I'm Professor so-and-so from Napoleon Institute, and um, I'd just like to ask you, are we to understand that the IPCC uh, is making statements about science that are developed through politics? So Klein says, that's not a question. Next question, please. <laughs> Brilliant. So where do we go from there? You know, well, you know, this is this is our playground. This is the shit that we do. The only way is down. Yeah, or through, or sideways, or. Yeah. <laughs> um. I still have people asking me why I'm not politically engaged in party politics in Sweden. Jesus. It's like asking why you don't take heroin. My point exactly. Mm. Mm. Well, I think that might just be the, the cliffhanger that we leave people with, even though we might not get back to it. But there's something to... To chew on. Yeah. Well, then I guess that's a wrap. That's a wrap.